invite you to take a Bible, if you will, and turn in the uh, New Testament to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 4. It's page 839 in these Bibles in the pews. As you're doing so, uh, for those of you who've been members here or attending this church for many years, you will know that from 1980 to 1985, Gordon Reed and his wife Miriam were here. Uh, Dr. Reed was the pastor for those five years. And then for many years, we had him back to preach occasionally while his health allowed it. Well, Miriam, his wife, passed away this past Wednesday. And I was sent a link to the obituary where they live in South Carolina. But I knew that those of you that knew Miriam and her faithful service to Christ here in this church would want to know that. Uh, off and on for the past couple of months, been looking at some of the parables in the New Testament, and we come now to the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4, probably uh, one of the top three well-known parables that Jesus told. And I'll begin reading in verse 1. And he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the seed, the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And the others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. That ends the reading of God's holy word. Two weeks ago, and I know a number of you uh, subscribe to the email from Desiring God Ministries, various devotionals that come out during the week by Dr. John Piper as well as others. But two weeks ago, 
there was an article written by John Piper, the Bible teacher and author. And here's what he said uh, as this, at the beginning of this article. He said, I had breakfast recently with a 28-year-old man who grew up under my preaching and rejected all of it until four weeks ago. He was converted while watching the documentary film, The American Gospel. The changes that have happened in his heart and life already are remarkable. He is now re-listening to sermons he heard 15 years ago. It's all there, he said. I asked him what I could have done differently in my preaching that might have helped him hear what he couldn't hear. He said the first was, the first thing he said was, better to tell it like it is than to soften things unrealistically. But if you are going to say hard things in the first part of the message, maybe give a heads up that good news is on the way at the end, which it was if I could have heard it. Now this man had heard the message of the Bible and the message of the gospel for many years, 20 plus years. But he had not heard it until recently when this was written four weeks before that meeting that he had with John Piper. Could that be true of you? It was definitely true of me as I was growing up. I heard the gospel preached week in and week out as my mother took me to church. And yet it was not until after a number of years that I came to faith in Christ. And then I heard that same preacher years later. And I said, you have become a very good preacher since I was young. I had not had ears to hear when I was at that time in life. Well, the text tells us that Jesus is teaching by the Sea of Galilee. And his reputation has spread now. So many people are coming to hear him. He is in a popular phase of his, what we call the popular phase of his ministry. In fact, one of the other gospel writers tells us some people had come from Jerusalem, which was a four-day walk to get to where he was. So they had come, and in order to accommodate the large crowd, he got in a boat and pushed out a little bit and is speaking to them. And he's speaking with parables, it tells us in verse 2. And if you remember, if you've been here as we've been going through parables, uh, they're not illustrations, but they are they are truths tossed alongside of, of other truths, and the listener has to make the connection. And so perhaps on that day, as they were by the Sea of Galilee, and perhaps there was a, a farmer, a sower, nearby, he had his bag of seed tied around his waist, and he's, he's walking in his field, and he's casting out seed on one side and then the other, and as the seed is sown, some falls on the path where people walked and exposed there, immediately birds flew down and, and took it away. And then he sows more seed, and some lands on rocky soil, and later on it would sprout quickly only to wither under the hot sun. And then other seed goes in another direction, and it lands and begins to grow, but is choked out by thorns that grow nearby. And then other seed lands on the good soil, that which has been tilled up and has depth, and it yields an amazing harvest, 30, 60, and 100-fold. And, and that's the end of the parable. It's not complicated. But then when we get to verse 10, it tells us that there were those with the 12, so it wasn't just the disciples, it was others with them, that basically asked, what was that all about? 
And so he responds in verse 11, and he begins with a quotation from the book of Isaiah. Uh, It's from a chapter in Isaiah, chapter 6, during a national tragedy. Now, if if you haven't read the Bible much, Isaiah was a messenger from God who lived 700 years before uh, Jesus' ministry. So Jesus quotes from what had had been written down in the book of Isaiah. And he's quoting from a time when a national tragedy was going on. The king had died, a man named King Uzziah. And Isaiah, as God's spokesman, God's prophet, he goes into the temple and he seeks direction from God. And he cries out for cleansing. And there's a voice that says, who will go for me? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. Well, what was the assignment that he's volunteering for? It was a tough one. It was a tough crowd he was to go to. It was a hard assignment. And God tells him that that hearing, the people to whom he's going to go, hearing they will not hear and seeing they will not see. In other words, God is sending Isaiah with a message to his people, but he tells Isaiah in advance, no one's going to accept it. Jesus takes that, and that's what he's referring to when he says, I speak in parables. Now, it almost sounds, and I want you to know, it doesn't mean this, but it almost sounds like God doesn't want us to get it. But that's not the case any more than when God sent Isaiah to preach that he did not want the people to get it. He did. He just said they're not going to. They're not going to listen. If he did not want them to get it, then why did he send Isaiah at all? Then why is Jesus speaking at all? And what Jesus is describing here is the difference between the purpose of preaching or the purpose of getting the word out and the result of it. There's a difference between the purpose and the result. The purpose of preaching is to make the truth clear. But the result of preaching can make people hard if they resist it. And so the Bible is not given to confuse us. It's given to inform and to change us. But for the Bible to do its work, it's dependent upon those who hear. Now that may sound strange to our ears. But you think about this image right here. It's fragile. A seed. The Word of God is is compared here to a seed, and that's a fragile thing. It can be tossed aside. It can land on on a surface where it it cannot grow. It can be burned up by the sun. It's fragile. We like those images in the Bible where the Word of God is powerful, like in Jeremiah where it says that the Word of God is like a hammer that breaks rock or it's like a fire that burns brush, or the writer of Hebrews saying that God's word is like a a double-edged sword that penetrates to the very depths of a person's being. Those are the kind of analogies we like when it talks about the Bible or God's word. But here it's fragile, a seed. And Jesus is saying if you take the word and if you receive it with an honest and good heart, if you apply it, if you persevere in it, you will get more of the word. But if you take the word and let it bounce off of you, like the path, 
and it makes no difference in your life, you basically will lose what you have. We speak often of you either use it or you lose it. And that's not only a principle in life, it's a spiritual principle as well. Although he died in 2013, Van Cliburn is still regarded by many as one of the greatest concert pianists who has ever lived. In fact, a woman uh, leaving the first service told me she heard him in concert back in the 1950s. And he, he toured and, and he gave concerts in America and around the world in the 1950s, 1960s. And then in the early 1970s, he stopped. After a few years, he was considering going back out on the concert tour. And he was asked in an interview, what will it take you by way of practice to get back to where you were? Not beyond where he was, but just back to the level where he'd been a few years before. And he said this, it will take me from one to one and a half years practicing eight to ten hours a day, six days a week. A year to year and a half practicing eight to ten hours a day, six days a week just to get back to where he was a few years before. Not better. Some of us took classes in junior high school or high school, maybe upper level math classes or uh, language, maybe some language that you were learning like Latin or, or Spanish or, or something like that. And today, if, you, if I were to take that textbook from when you were in the 10th grade with those math problems or geometry or, or some took trigonometry and put it in front of you, you probably could not get past the first page. Why? We don't use it, and we lost it. Or you didn't speak it or practice it, and you can't even remember it now. Well, that's a spiritual principle, too. You either use it or lose it. Okay, well, what about these four soils? Well, the first soil is this hardened path. The seed lands there, and it just it bounces off. Nothing happens. It's taken away. It's compacted ground. It doesn't penetrate. The seed does not penetrate at all. And Jesus says that this heart is representative of, of a hard heart that hears the things of God. And the message we would say today is like water off a duck's back. It's just in one ear and out the other. And the reason for this is not just the person doesn't care. Satan is snatching away the word. He steals away uh, God's word from the heart. And we're foolish if we think that isn't going on this very moment or any time God's word is preached. The person's reaction is just no interest whatsoever. Uh, the person's not argumentative, probably not even hostile toward the message. They just don't care. It's just not, it just does not seem relevant. Uh, it, it's just, you know, I'm not into these things. I, I just don't have an interest in this. Uh, although most of you never met my father, and, and I regret that, he... Uh, he didn't become a Christian until late in life. And as I was in the junior high school and high school, he rarely attended church. There was those occasional times, and I remember one day he did go, and we came out of church, and whereas his response usually was just, it's just not relevant to my life, Chip, he was very upset. He was very angry on this particular day. I don't remember what the details were. All I remember is we got in the car, and, and he, was, he was royally ticked off at what he had heard. 
And I was sitting over there as a new Christian, and I kind of got a smile on my face, which he didn't see sitting in the car. And you know why? Because there was a reaction. At least he had heard something. Something had connected. Now he was angry about it, but it was that's better than, well, you know, I just uh, it just doesn't make any sense to me, or I just don't, I'm just not into these things. I, I just don't care. Do you know someone like that? Someone you would say is hardened? Um, the problem is not in the adequacy of the message. It's in the heart. And, and in this case, the evil one snatches it away. It, it doesn't grow at all. It's not implanted at all. The second type of soul is a shallow, what we could call a shallow heart, an unwilling heart. This is described as rocky soil. Israel is known as one of the rockiest places on earth. Every field apparently has many rocks. But on this case, the seed lands and there's ground, but it, it cannot seek deep roots. And so this person responds positively. The message may fill them with joy initially, uh, but the problem is it's just a shallow emotional response to Christ. It doesn't penetrate the, uh, the intellect and the will and, and the life. And so it says when persecution, or Jesus said when persecution comes because of the word, as a direct result of the word, they quickly fall away. Immediate rejection. And Jesus says this happens. A person receives the word, and they say, oh, this is maybe the best thing I've ever heard. This is just what I need. This is what I needed to hear. And, and then the heat gets turned up. And, and, and the, God says he wants you to be honest. And you learn this. And, and you work in an environment where, where lying and deception are just pervasive in the particular business you're in. And, and you have to decide, will I quickly fall away? Or will I obey God in this situation? Or God tells you to stay married to your spouse and you say, I don't want to. Will you abandon God's law when things have gotten hard? What if we were in Nigeria right now where since the year 2015, just a little over three years ago, over the past three years, 20,000, we think that's a conservative count, 20,000 Christians have been murdered, often in churches gathered for worship on Sunday morning. What would we do? What would I do? Would I quickly fall away and say, hey, you know, it was fine while it lasted, but it's not worth this kind of price? Their initial enthusiasm is short-lived. The pressure's too much, their faith collapses. And the reason is they had no depth. There's no depth there. Third type of soil we could call the divided heart. This is the seed that lands on the, the thorny ground. It lands on what would appear to be good soil, but... As it's watered and grows, so do the thorns and things around it, and they choke it out. And Jesus describes those that choke it out as the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. Just the cares of this world. Just We all have those. doesn't matter your age, stage of life, school, test, papers to write. What am I going to do next? Should I go here, jobs, work? family, health, children when they're small, children when they're medium age, children when they're older, what, you know, just uh, money, issues, health, the cares of life. We all have them, every culture. Deceitfulness of riches, thinking that 
if I have more, I'll, I can solve my problems with money. Or, or the allure of just acquisition. Or trying to protect what you have. Or the desires for other things. And so there's a dis- seductive effect uh, of this. And, and it's subtle. It, this person says, I want Jesus. I really do. I just want these other things too. It, it really does want it all. So it's not an intellectual opposition to the gospel. It, it just chokes it out. And fourth, the good soil. The seed lands. It's a responsive heart. They receive the word deeply, thoroughly, exclusively. It's not perfect. It's not a perfect heart, but it's accepting and believing of God's word. And the result is fruitfulness, 30, 60, and 100-fold. Now, the question comes up, and I was asked this the other day. He said, well, what, what position are you going to take about the parable of the sower? And I said, what do you mean? And I, I think I knew. You mean like, is this describing who's a Christian and who's not? Well, obviously, only the fourth one. Is there any assurance the person's a believer? But we can't take this parable as a freeze frame. Because many of us can look back and say, oh, I, at one time I was the first soil, and then I was the second soil, or I was the third one, then I was the second one. So it's, it's dynamic, not static. It's, it, and, and it's not chosen at the moment the seed goes out. It takes time to reveal which of the four soils. But there's nothing here that says a person is relegated that if you're a a hardened ground here or now, that you must stay that way. So to say, well, what this is doing is describing who's really a believer or not. Well, that's one of the applications. The other is what kind of hearer are we? What kind of listener am I? Is my heart soft toward the things of God? Am I tilled toward that? I want you to see... What really stands out here is how disproportionate the fruit is compared to the sowing. The seed lands, but there when he says it produces a fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold, 100 times over. Think about the Apostle Paul. There he was a persecutor of the church, wanted to see Christians imprisoned and killed, truly believing that Jesus was a heretic, that he was a false prophet. He's converted. If we had met him, say, six months after his conversion, would we have had any clue as to what God was going to do through this man's life? No. We might have said, well, he's well-educated, and he's smart, and he's zealous. He seems to be the, the guy that whatever he believes, he wholeheartedly believes it, but who would have said, God's going to use this man to be the greatest missionary in, in history, planting churches all around the Mediterranean from scratch? And yet that's what God did to such a point that what, by the 4th century, you have the Roman Empire essentially being affected by Christianity through all of it. So the, the fruit is disproportionate. When Christ ascended into heaven. Best we can tell, there were fewer followers of Christ at that point than are seated in this service today. 
If you total them up, including those that had abandoned him when he was arrested, it, was, it, would, have been a small, it would have been a crowd, but a small crowd. And then in a short time, what happens? Well, you have Pentecost, just within a matter of uh, a short time later. Thousands are added to the church. Small seed, huge fruit. Nothing's changed. The seed is no different now than it was then. So the power is not in the sower, in this case, humanly, the preacher, or the teacher, or the evangelist. It's in the seed. It's in the word. And that's why you don't know when it's going to land on good ground. Parents, as your children are under your authority growing up and living at home, don't let them sleep in and miss church. Here's why. You don't know if that's not the day God will work. That may be the day the seed lands on good ground and bears much fruit. And if Junior's home in the bed and misses it, I'm strictly speaking from the human standpoint, obviously. We're not leaving out God's sovereignty. But there's human means here involved. And we need to keep that in mind. We need to have ourselves there. What might God do in my life? So we come expectantly. We come expectantly. We should prepare our hearts, not just for worship, but to hear his word. If you're going to a Bible study during the week, if you're going to sit down and do, read the Bible on your own, say, Lord, prepare my heart. I come in submission. I'm very distracted. Help me not to be distracted. Help, yeah, I, I want, please, I, I come in a submissive posture rather than lording over it posture. So I would ask the question back to my friend's question to me, like, well, which position on the parable of the sower do you take? I'd say the position, I think the parable of the sower is, what is your present condition today? Are you a divided heart? Are you a hard heart? Are you a stony ground? Or is it being choked out by the things of this world? Or is it, a, is it good soil? Is your heart good soil? few last thoughts in closing. God puts the burden on the hearer to nurture the, the seed. We live in a day, maybe because of our entertainment culture, maybe because of just the, the sit and entertain me kind of thing, all that pervades our whole culture, that we evaluate things based on the preacher or the teacher. And I can tell you as one person here who preaches, we work hard at it. <laughs> we do. And I want to be an effective communicator. But I learned early on, this is beyond human capacity. There are times I preach a sermon that I think from a certain standpoint, all right, it's all there. This ought to be good. And I feel like I'm staring at mannequins, that, that it's going nowhere. And another time I'll think this is going to be awful. And I'll get up and I'll say, this may be the worst sermon uh, you know, let's just land this plane and get out of here. I mean, th this is killing us. And I'll get an email from somebody that will talk about one of the most profound ways God used it in their life. I anyone who preaches, no, there's no control over that. The, the wind blows where he will, as Christ said about the Holy Spirit. That I'm not trying to excuse laziness on the part of those of us who preach. But let me ask you this. If you ever think, well, I'd be a stronger Christian if I just had better preachers and teachers in my life. Who is speaking this parable? 
the Son of God. Now, there's been one perfect preacher in history, and it wasn't Charles Spurgeon, and it wasn't Billy Graham, and it wasn't George Whitfield, as great as these people were. It was Christ. And yet, even with Christ, even with miracles, works of power to back up some of the things he was saying, it tells us there were people that saw him that refused to believe. They refused to believe, even though they saw things that we think, if I could see that, I saw a man walk out of a grave after four days, I would believe. Not necessarily. There were many of those that didn't. So let's not excuse us that are preachers, but let's not have the thought that all this depends on the communicator. It's the hearer. What Jesus is stressing here is how we hear, how we listen. And even those that listen to the perfect preacher, the perfect teacher, face-to-face with the Son of God, there were four types of souls, and only one bore fruit. Second, there are spiritual forces at work when the seed goes out, so we should pray for ourselves. We should pray for others. I had a person tell me after the earlier service, she said, you may not know, but every time I say a blessing before a meal, I pray for the pastors of this church. She said, I was taught to do that at at my former church. And uh, that means the world, to know that. That's, that's the highlight of my day so far today. Expose yourself to the preached word. Be expectant. Be expectant. Lord, your words are going to go forth. And I pray that, that it would do far exceedingly beyond what I ask or think. So here's a prayer I wrote. I rarely do this in the ending of sermon, but I wrote this prayer that I thought this is what I'd like to pray, and I hope that as you hear it, and you'll just hear it once, it might could be your prayer. And here it is. Lord, your word is powerful. My heart is naturally hard. Please soften my heart so that your word will land on good soil and take root and bear much fruit. Give me ears to hear and eyes to see, and help me to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. Let's pray together. Our Father, we, uh, we plant seeds in the ground, and we don't know all the process that goes on. And, and they come out, and they bear fruit. And we're, we're amazed at that, and even more so in a spiritual sense. Some of us are sitting here that now know you, and you're at work in our lives. And there was a time we could have cared less. Perhaps we hated you. Perhaps we just thought about other things we were wrapped up in other interests that seemed so important at the time or maybe we had intellectual issues with the uniqueness of the gospel and we thank you that you are doing exactly what's described here and we would pray for even those of us that may be here that are hard-hearted or are being choked out by thorns and we're in tough situations where our commitment to you is going to cost us something, if, if nothing more than maybe being labeled a hater or something like that. And we pray that you would bear fruit, much fruit in us, to, to persevere. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.